welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we're going to be talking about the Thunders season finale. They took on the Lakers on Friday, concluded things on Sunday night against the Clippers. I'll be discussing both of those games and where the Oklahoma City Thunder stand at the conclusion of 82 games. And to top it all off, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. But guys, starting things out, have two sets of games in this one. Game number 81 and game number 82 coming right at you. Started out on Friday against the Los Angeles Lakers for them. They weren't playing a a good chunk of their guys. No LeBron, no AD, no Russ, and no playoff intentions on the line. Already ended up losing that out. The Spurs got the 10th seed, so they kind of coasted into the weekend just having kind of an early trip to Cancun, you know? So they had just a bunch of their youngsters, a bunch of the bench guys, kind of like Dwight Howard and such, filling out that starting five. And on the flip side, OKC was still running their six-man rotation four of which being 10-day guys, got Isaiah Roby and Vit Krejci as the other two. But once you got into the game, I mean, it was actually pretty interesting. You know, the Thunder held their weight. First quarter saw 12 lead changes, six ties, and the Thunder had the last laugh. I think Jalen Horde wound up at the bucket, but it put him up 28-27 to going into that second quarter. And Yorgos had 11 points, Horde had 7 points. They kind of had that, you know, dynamic duo sort of emerging. But second quarter rolled around, started to see, you know, L.A. They got the Vets. They went on a 16-8 to run to begin the period. Never got above 10, though, and it gave OKC a slight window. They were able to capture it, made the game 56-52, to headed into halftime. L.A. had that four-point advantage, but L.A. could not stop paint play. OKC had 32 of their 52 points coming from the paint. They could not buy a bucket from downtown. 4 of 17 in the first half. But you always have to sort of uh, find another compromise as as such. And, you know, when that happens with the Thunder, it's happened a lot this season. They've had to turn to penetrations. A lot of it came through SGA. You know, if he could get to the charity stripe. Or if he could just get a dribble drive bucket. You know, like his step back wasn't that successful this year a lot of the guys weren't able to drum down any threes so that's what it turned to you know whenever you got the blue players as well they kind of have that same mentality so they're going to make things work and they had some pretty solid adjustments and going into the third you saw those adjustments they had a 7-0 mid-quarter run to tie the game at 66 all but then LA had another gut punch they had a 14-9 end cap to the period Went up 90-82 to going into quarter number four. And in quarter number four, kind of started to see that fatigue wear through for Oklahoma City. LA, they took advantage of their 10-man rotation. Oklahoma City was obviously working on that just batch of six there. Ended up outscoring OKC 30-19 to in the period. Took the game 120-101. to And it put OKC in a spot where... Going into their final game, they would either fall anywhere from third in reverse standings to a tie for fourth in reverse standings. Going into the numbers, though, 
The Lakers, they just spread the love around. They had eight guys in double figures. Stanley Johnson had 21 points of his own. You know, this is one where, truthfully, I think the Thunder could have stolen this one had they not started uh, the fourth on such a sour note and had they just started hitting some threes. When they had guys like Lindy Waters in the rotation the last month or so, you could see a clear difference. You know, they were shooting in the mid-30s, even in, in the 40s from downtown. They dropped a 6 of 27 egg on this game. That's 20.7% from distance. And, you know, that led to some major troubles. Jalen Horde had another hell of a game. Career high 27 points and 17 rebounds in 47 minutes. Big thing for me, you know, he was able to just remain dominant around the basket. Obviously, the game before, he went 5 of 7 from downtown, but. You know, when it's working around the basket, whenever you're able to absorb that contact, keep going to the rack. That's exactly what Horde did. Made himself a hot commodity going into the season finale. Same goes with Yorgos Kalixakis. He had 25 points on the game in addition to 6 assists. That's going to be career highs in both of those areas. And really, 25 points. That was not just a career high in the NBA. That's the most points I've seen Yorgos post in general, in any basketball game at a professional level. In the EuroLeague and overseas, he really wasn't playing major minutes. He'd be playing maybe 9 minutes sometimes, 11 minutes. He was in the bottom of the bench, sort of in the development program. And with the OKC Blue, you know, he had his moments, but the biggest output he ever posted was 24 points. It was like his third or fourth game on the roster, never cracked 20 again. This time he hits 25 points and he hits the biggest total he's had in his 23 years of playing the game, at least from what I know on a big stage. For Xavier Simpson, he had another good game, 13 points, six rebounds and seven assists. Simpson was actually picked up by the Lakers as an undrafted free agent back in 2020, kept him for all of about three weeks and then dumped him off before training camp even started. And then ultimately that led him to being in an OKC blue jersey. But Simpson got his skyhook going in this game, ended up hitting one in the presence of pretty much the creator of the skyhook in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was celebrating his 75th birthday at the Crypto.com Arena. It's weird saying that, but... He was in attendance. There were obviously some other Laker legends there. So they got to see a little dash of the pass with that hook shot. And for the other two guys in Melvin Frazier Jr. and Isaiah Roby, they both had some pretty solid games. Melvin Frazier had 16 points. That was a career high for him. And Isaiah Roby had 14 points. He sort of had his tenure cut in this game, but gave him a fresh set of legs going into the season finale against the Los Angeles Clippers. And going into the game, obviously, what's the talk of the town going to be? It's going to be the lottery situation. OKC was 24-57 and 57 going into this game. That's fourth in reverse standings. And right above them by a game were the Detroit Pistons. They were 23-58. and 58, And Indiana was 25-56. and 56. So had OKC won the game, they would have been in a two-way tie for Indiana given they lost their contest. And OKC had the latest game of the night. We knew going into the game that if OKC won, it'd be a two-way tie for fourth, just like last season. And if they lost the game, they'd stay at fourth. Had Detroit lost their game last night, it would have been a two-way tie for third, but that was ruled out of the equation. Basically, walked in just 
hoping to either stay in sole possession of the fourth best odds or have that coin flip ultimately decide how the tale goes. So, what do you get? You get some flashbacks. You played the LA Clippers last season, and what did you see? You saw Daniel Aturu shoot about like 4 of 21. I don't even know what it was, but he played terrible. Josh Hall had 25. Poku was hitting step back threes, and then it came into a coin flip. They had this same exact situation. Result had them in the win column, and it pinned them in that coin flip with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, obviously, if you're in that tanking boat, you're hoping that, you know, OKC winds up with a loss here. I understand wanting to see the guys play well. It's one of those deals, though, where if you're able to get one of those franchise-changing guys, you want to go in that direction. And you're going to get that through having more ping-pong balls for next month's draft lottery. So, you get the same group of six going into the game. That's Xavier Simpson, Vete Krejci, your ghosts, Jalen Horde, and Isaiah Roby. And then off the bench, you have Melvin Frazier Jr. as well. But going into play, you started to see some crevices on OKC's side. The Clippers almost mounted a 20-point lead through one quarter of play. They stood above 38-19, to or 39-18. to So they did go above the 20-point threshold after 12 minutes and when you kind of break down how that happened you just got to look at the roster you know for Los Angeles they didn't have Kawhi they didn't have Paul George and they didn't have Reggie Jackson those are three very solid players throw Norman Powell or Norman Powell into that mix yeah you know top four out of their maybe five guys are gone and that's big time however this whole season LA has been extremely depth heavy and it goes that way top to bottom. When you have guys like Robert Covington, Zubach, Kennard, and Terrence Mann just there all the time, those are going to be consistent contributors and they can get you, you know, 10, 15 points. And in Zubach's case, he's able to get you double doubles. Covington's a great defender. Like that's still a very high functioning lineup, even with a lot of players uh, kind of out from the rotation. So, You know, they were able to just get in sync. The three ball was not missing for them. And they continued with that in the second quarter. Oklahoma City, you know, they made things a bit interesting in quarter number two by halftime. This is still clearly a double-digit lead, right? But you started to see a couple more shots go their way. The big thing in quarter number one was the inside was just not working. Had it going a bit more. Uh, in that next slate of 12, but they were still down 66 to 51, and they just could not catch any fire whatsoever. Quarter number three and quarter number four kind of had the exact same story where shots were just shanking left and right. You know, OKC didn't even shoot 40% from the field in this game. They went 37 of 98. That's 37.8%. And 9 of 34 from distance. That's 26.5%. Los Angeles shot 18 of 35 from 3. 56% in all. Just a straight up massacre. And in the last like 12 minutes and even the last half, you know, there was just not a lot of defense applied from OKC's camp. You know, they'd get the shot clock down to five seconds before really making any sort of move. It was kind of like hot potato, and then a bad shot would get shocked from distance. And off that shot, if it was a long miss, 
it'd be a three-on-one situation pretty much every time. You know, LA won the fast break battle 23-9 in this game. OKC, they just couldn't find any real sources because Zubac was doing a hell of a job around the basket. Same goes with Robert Covington. Just those chip shots that they were finding in the last three games were unavailable. And with the three ball just completely walled off, there was no synergy that could be had. Kind of seemed like everyone was just doing their own thing in the last quarter. Now, that is what it is. I mean, you check the final score here. It's not great. OKC got thumped to the tune of a 138-88 to loss. That's 50 points. And, I mean, I guess you can chalk it up to <laughs> LA just getting in rhythm. Because this wasn't just a game where OKC was just destroyed. And on any given night, they're losing by 50. Something's had to go the Clippers' way. Like, they had a mere coffee drop 35 points in the game. Now, Coffey's a solid player, don't get me wrong. If you would have told me he would have dropped 35 in an NBA game, though, I wouldn't have believed you. Now, he played 43 of the minutes to get there, but he just could not miss. 7 of 10 from 3, 13 of 22 from the field. And then you had some other fill-ins as well. Kennard had 20. And Xavier Moon, he has one of the coolest stories, I think, in the NBA right now. Three-time MVP in a Canada startup league this isn't the the cba he was playing in he was playing in a different canadian basketball league just started in like 2016 2017 three consecutive times he was the top player translated over to the g league and obviously translated over to this game pull up mid-range was on point he went 8 of 11 to get there but yeah i mean top to bottom la just had their number and oklahoma city they were kind of just sluggish. I think that's that's the way I'd like to kind of put things. But that obviously set them up to stay fourth in reverse standings, 24-58 and 58 on the season. I'll delve into the tankathon numbers and some of the stats we saw from the season finale in one second here. But first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoffs mean next-level basketball. Get ready for all the action by betting the play-in tournament with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You clinch a win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook's customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays, combine multiple bets, from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, for each day of the play-in, get a free risk bet up to $10 if your same game parlay doesn't hit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the play-in tournament and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. But guys, moving into the stats from this game. I already kind of touched up on it, but this was not great whatsoever. You know, if you were to 
throw together a, a, like a makeshift shift lineup of like five or six guys and throw them in an NBA game. You know, this was definitely something like that. Energy was there for all these players, like no doubt about it. They had some Iron Man energy. They had to stick it out for basically the entirety of this game. So you have to just give them respect regardless. Yorgos played the entire 48 minutes. Horde played 45. Kretschy played 40. Simpson played 45. And Frazier played 43. So, I mean, they had to play this entire entire game. Um, so I, that can really translate to why you'd see maybe some defense having a lot more lapses than usual. They just couldn't really stay on track. And, and honestly, I mean, the stats here had to code somewhere. This is how it's worked. Like if you're playing 48 minutes in a basketball game, whether you're having a good game or not, you'll still get a decent looking scorecard. That's what happened here. You know, like seriously, there were not many runs for OKC in this game. And that was about all like just, they didn't really have much sets or actions going on last like quarter play. And I feel like that kind of encapsulated what we saw during play. Even with that though, I'd still mention that there were some solid performances. I think Xavier Simpson by far was the best player in a Thunder jersey. Finished the game 7 of 15 to get 17 points, 9 rebounds, and 7 assists. He was able to play in front of his father, Quincy. He was the head coach over at Lima High School. That's where Simpson went, I believe, junior and senior year. Maybe also as a sophomore, but he kind of got coached up there. I think he helped out with AAU circuits, so... It's nice to see him in the uh, in the building to show some support. I know the Blues social media page had some little snippet or some photo of Quincy in a Simpson OKC blue jersey, which is pretty cool. Like, I don't have the opportunity to go to OKC very often right now. That should change. But, like, I've gone to a few blue games. All I saw in terms of OKC blue jerseys, were DJ Wilson ones. I never saw anything else. Simpson has his father wearing the Simpson jersey. I'm all about it. It's really cool seeing some G League support and, you know, obviously having some support from your father who coached you up for probably 10 years, maybe even more than that. So he was able to put on a show. I'd say if you're going to break down, like, who had the most impressive 10-day contract... Jalen Horde's got to be up there, right? But Simpson might be a close second because with him, he wasn't about stat padding this entire way. When you think of being on a 10-day contract and not just being by yourself on one, but being with three other guys on the same deal and playing 40-plus minutes a game, it could be easy to think that these players are looking to get theirs. They want to just take 20 shots in the game, not pass the basketball around. Simpson... Wouldn't have shot at all if he didn't have to, honestly. And he looked exactly the same as he did with the Oklahoma City Blue. And I'd argue that, honestly, he was a lot more passive than what we've seen the last month or so. That can be seen as a good thing. But, you know, like his passing vision was amazing this stretch of four games. And this game in particular, you saw a ton of times where he'd drive to the basket. Zubac would meet him at the painted area. He'd draw in two defenders and just freaking rifle a pass to the wing uh that leads to obviously some wide open threes they didn't fall but you know he was passing up good shots for great shots the entire time even when those shots were not hitting that shows me that you are a true leader 
you're still really trusting in on your teammates. And I think that's what he's done really the last two seasons when he's been in the OKC Thunder's ranks. I like to compare him to like a Chino's Hills player. You know, I wouldn't say he's like LaMelo Ball. Like that's a that's a silly comparison to make. But when you look at Ball's like freshman highlights with Chino and even sophomore year, you saw full court passes, just stupid flashy passes, you know, running players around in circles. Xavier Simpson did that in this game, and that is what I love about it, dude. Like, he would drive inside, and he was getting shut off by Zubach. Like, the hook was not amazing. So he would just go right under the rim, tiptoe that baseline, and just go in a circle. And he took Zubach with him on back-to-back plays. One of them led to a hook shot. One of them was just like a little push shot that went in. But like that spark plug just make the game so fun. And there's a reason why if you're watching like Bally Sports or anything, Simpson's always the player getting pushed because he's a very unique play, uh, game. And he's able to get you some of those wacky plays. He's very old school almost in his play style, but... You know, he also has that flair to it where he is gunning out those insane like sidearm passes where it's like, how does that happen? And he does it as a six foot guard. So I don't know what happens next for him. He said that he was very grateful for the opportunity. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent, 25 years old. I don't know if he's a two way player, an overseas guy or a training camp attendee. He has shown though that He's on par as an NBA passer. Obviously, has to get that shot going, but he saved probably his best game for the last. As for Veet, he had a good game himself. Now, didn't shoot amazingly well. He shot 7 of 17 and 2 of 8 from downtown, but he was about the only guy that you could trust driving to the basket because it was not pretty, you know? Um, In particular, to start the game, no one could break that wall. And, you know, Los Angeles is bringing that intensity and they wanted to cram the paint. It just wasn't successful. Now, for Vitz, because he's six foot eight and because he's sort of athletic, he's able to create those opportunities for himself. And he was able to shrug off defenders. He was able to hit four of his shots in the painted area. That actually gave him a career high of 17 points on the game. I wouldn't say this was his best game of the season because. There were games where he had like 12 points and like six assists, you know, and all those 12 points came from downtown. That's what I like to see from him. I want to see him play kind of from all facets of the court, but I do respect that he was able to work around the basket. You know, I've always stated he's more of a cutter. I think that's where he translate if he sticks around on the roster and he showed you why, you know, he is very solid when it comes to absorbing that contact and same goes with Jalen Horde on a normal day. He didn't have a great game, though. You know, to begin, he looked like a fish out of water. He missed his first five shots, had nothing to show for his first quarter, and Zubach and Hartenstein were just eating his lunch. Now, he was able to pick things back up. He played well over 40 minutes in the game, of course, but he ended with 14 points and 15 rebounds. No breakout quarter for Jalen Horde. This was one where he kind of snuck into the scorecard just like he did against Detroit. Uh, But obviously those numbers still project well. I'd argue this was his worst game in the starting group though. He shot 6 of 20 from the field. The three ball wasn't really there. Driving inside, 
he was absorbing contact. I would argue that there were definitely some no calls, but they weren't being called and he wasn't able to finish those off. And it led to him, you know, not being the top option, I would say. I think, though, that it's a testament to his energy levels that even when he does have a bad game and he's playing a decent bit, he's still giving you 14 points and 15 rebounds. And off of that, he concluded his season averaging 14.7 points and 12 rebounds in 34.7 minutes a game. And two of those games, he hardly played. The first one he played was in January, and it was two minutes against the Phoenix Suns. Toss that out. Those numbers are going to take an uptick. And in his last four games, he was averaging close to 24 points per game. He was really feeling himself from there. So I'd say those are the top three of six. You look into the others. Roby had 16 points. Your Ghost had 17 points. And Melvin Frazier Jr. had eight points in the game. I'll say this, man. Um, Melvin did not really live up to expectations as a 10-day guy. When he got picked up, man... I was elated. I've been covering Melvin since he was playing with Tulane, actually, his junior season. And I've always loved his game. I really like the build he presents 6'6, 7'2 wingspan, able to kind of get it done on both sides of the basketball. And he's able to hit shots from the corner. That's really what has made him a solid prospect in the G League. And he's been there for four seasons. He was the 35th pick in the draft. He did technically played two seasons with the Orlando Magic, but they basically just pushed him down to the G League level and said, you know what? Go figure this out out yourself, man, you know? And he finally gets the call-up after, I'm going to say it yet again, like four years because he wasn't given really any light of day. And it just, it it didn't didn't work out, man. Um, (laughs) He didn't have... A game where you really got to see every layer of his his game. You know, he averaged 10.7 points on the season to go with 4.3 rebounds, but he shot 27.1% from the field. And when you look a little bit deeper into this, he shot 4.8% from downtown. That's obviously just a bad streak. That's one of 21 from distance. And 13 to 48 in all. It stinks, bro. Like, for Frazier, he's been working hard. And for all these guys in the G League, they've been working hard. He finally got the platform, and he had open shots. And all those three-pointers were in and out. Over and over. You didn't see, like, air balls. You didn't see terrible misses. Just the really crappy ones where it sputters around the rim three times and pops out. You probably count that for like 10 of his 20 misses that he had from deep. I was hoping we'd get to see that three-level game from Frazier. We'd see him on both sides of the ball, just very electric. But he was kind of just out there, like sitting in the corner, trying to make things happen, and they weren't. He did look all right when it came to slashing. I think that's where he's made the major improvements. In the half-court setting, that's where we saw him, not much in the fast break. We'll have to see what's next for him, and really for all these 10-day players, but I'm really interested in Melvin because he's been a very quality G League guy for a good chunk of time. Does he stick around, or does he go overseas? I think that he'd obviously do well wherever he lands up, Uh, but yeah, there's a next step in the process 
for Melvin here. And there's a next step in the process for the Oklahoma City Thunder. As I said, they put a bow on the season, 24-58. and 58. It's over. You know, I'll be talking more about this probably next episode and whatnot when I really put the bow on it with, like, exit interviews and all this. But, wow. Um, this season went by way faster than my first season. Uh, if you don't know, like, last year, you know, I had podcasts. I was podcasting every single day, right? And I was doing stuff on the blog sites. It was a joy to watch the team. And even though it was shorter, you had less games on the season, it felt longer. Maybe it was because it was my first time around the block, kind of learning the ins and outs of covering covering like both writing and uh, podcasting, of course. But man, this year it just went by in the blink of an eye. Like, I remember stuff like that comeback against the Lakers when they came back from 27, and then the next game they came back from 19 points. I remember the game against the Houston Rockets, like first or second game on the season where they were just getting handed to the entire game. That was in October, November, man. Like, that's wild to me. And we got through a full 82 games of the season. This was ultimately like a success, I'd say, in terms of the draft picks. Now, you have the 30th pick, should have pick number 15, barring... Los Angeles stays in the playoff picture. And then you have that fourth best odd, obviously. That's better than what you had last season. You know, because even with the coin flip that they won, they still had a worse cut at things because you evenly cut everything outside of who could fall to pick number eight and who could fall to pick number nine. Basically, that's all that that thing do, uh, did. But OKC has a 12.5% chance of pick number one. As for pick number two, 12.2%, 11.9% from three, and 11.5% for four. Just like last year, their highest odd comes from the sixth spot. That's at 25.7%. We'll have to see how things run, though. You know, OKC, I thought that they were going to use their hardship guys a lot earlier this season. There were lots of injuries in mid-March. They didn't use it, and they gave some opportunities to four different guys this year on those 10 days. And people on the outside looking in absolutely hated it. They thought that it was blatant tanking and all this and all that. You know, if they're hurt, these Thunder guys, why are you going to risk them right now? And number two, why not let these guys show off a little bit? You know, they've been working in the G League system for two years, some of them. Let them have their spotlight when there's not many guys that you could really replace them with in this current point of time. OKC is going to have a very fun offseason. Draft lottery time next month will definitely be a spectacle. Draft day will be. As for myself, I'm going to be doing a lot of scouting over the next couple of days. We'll see where that goes. Definitely will come on the podcast uh, we'll see like if I have a, a draft scouting outlet that I can kind of publish my work to there as well. But I really do enjoy doing deep dives on players. I did that last offseason, did that on Bricktown Beat last year, and I'm very excited to kind of get back into those motions again. That does it for my second season of Blue and Thunder coverage. You know, when I started out this year, my goal was I wanted to have a media credential. I wanted to go to a game as media and I was actually able to do it twice. I was able to go to the preseason game at the BOK center and then the Hornets game last month. 
very fun experience, and I've learned a lot, made a, a bunch of new connections, met a ton of great people, and you know, I appreciate each and every one of you guys who has kind of stuck around on the journey here. Nothing's changing. We're still going to have podcasts turning out as the days go by, as we get through this offseason, and as we see playoff basketball unfold. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for the second season here on the Thundersticks podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.